This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. A guest speaker is featured on this message. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Caleb, and I get the joy of being on the pastoral team here at Grace Church. And I'm really grateful that I uh, get to be here this morning and and dig into God's word with you. Um, We've been as a church in the book of Colossians for the last few months, and we're currently in chapter 3. And a little earlier in chapter 3, Paul gave a general call to all Christians Uh, to live a life of love and service because this is the appropriate way to respond to being loved and chosen by Christ. Now, this is really the governing idea of the rest of the chapter. Because our relationship with God has changed through Christ, our relationship with those around us must change through him as well. And the section we are now in hones in on what this looks like specifically in the various relationship roles we find ourselves in. A few weeks ago, we talked about what it means to live a life of love and service as a father, as as a parent, and, and as a child. And last week, Craig preached on what it means to be a wife who lives a life of love and service to her husband. This week is really the second part of a two-part sermon to married couples. We're going to be focusing in on how husbands are to treat their wives. I've, I've titled the message, A Sermon of All-Out Love. And I'm going to read Colossians 3.18 through 19 in a moment. But before I do, if you're, if you're uh, here without a Bible, there should be a Bible in uh, the seat in front of you, below the seat in front of you. And we're going to be on page 573. And it'll help you just to open it up and, and track with us there. And if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, please take this one. This, this is a gift from us to you. Now we're going to jump into the text. Colossians 3:18 through 19. This is God's very words to us. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace on us, that you have given us your very word. And we thank you, Lord, that the primary reason you've given us your word, the primary reason you've revealed yourself to us is that you might be friends with us. We praise you for that, Lord. We thank you. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit this morning to incline our hearts to your word, that you would help us see it as more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. We ask that your Spirit... Lord, would open our eyes to the claims you are making on all of our lives. Father, we ask that ultimately you'd help us see you, that we may enjoy you, that we may be friends with you, that we may savor you. And as we do, that you would, by your spirit, transform us from one degree of glory to another. 
O Lord, do your work by your word in us, your people, by your spirit, for your glory, and for the joy of the marriage-watching world, and for, for our good, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the wife of one of the most famous preachers who's ever lived once gave a very sobering report about an incident involving her husband and her going to a place where he was going to preach to a large crowd. Uh, Listen to what she wrote. We went together in a cab, and I well remember trying to keep close by his side as we mingled with the mass of people thronging up the staircase. But by the time we reached the landing, he had forgotten my existence. The burden of the message was upon him, and he turned into the small door where the officials were awaiting him without for a moment realizing that I was left to struggle as best as I could with the rough throng around me. At first, I was utterly bewildered, and then I was angry. I had once returned home and told my grief to my gentle mother. She wisely reasoned that my husband was no ordinary man, that his whole life was dedicated to God, and that I must never, never hinder him. When my husband returned home, my dear mother went to him and told him all the truth. Quietly, he let me tell him how indignant I had felt. And then he repeated mother's little lesson, pointing out that before all things, he was God's servant. Did you hear that? The wife says that her husband had forgotten her existence, that he had left her alone in a rough crowd to fend for himself, for herself. And when she told him how hurt and angered she was, he said he was just being a faithful minister to his God-given ministry responsibilities. Now, the husband in this incident was Charles Spurgeon, and the woman reporting it was his wife, Susanna Spurgeon. And I'll tell you, it's a little bit difficult for me to share this about Charles Spurgeon because I respect him so much on one hand, and also because I can, I can feel... Uh, the, the, the struggle that he must have felt when he was going into the church that morning. That's why when I preach, uh, Maddie and I drive separately. Um, so, and, 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 you know, I'll tell you this too. Susanna wrote a lot more beautiful, good things about Charles than, than she wrote like this. Uh, he was known to be a caring, loving husband. But like all of us and like all our mortal, flawed heroes, he was, he was a sinner. And in this particular incident, he failed big time. He wrongly placed his ministry burden for for preaching from a pulpit over his burden to heed to our text. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. He forgot that the way he was to treat Susanna was really the message that warranted the heaviest, the greatest burden that day. Now, most of us will never preach a sermon from a pulpit, and, 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 and none of us will likely have the public broad-range impact that Charles Spurgeon had for the gospel. You know, his, his, his impact has is, is, is spanned over generations. 
But all husbands are called by God to preach at least one sermon. And it's the very sermon he missed proclaiming this day of the report. Let let me say this again and, and listen. Every husband is called to preach at least one message of no greater weight. See, I I think our texts claim on us this morning. I think what God wants us to hear as we read it is, Husbands, your all-out love for your wife proclaims Christ's all-out love for his people. Husbands, your all-out love for your wife proclaims Christ's all-out love for his people. The way you relate to your wife is to be a sermon of all-out love. And God tasked each husband to proclaim Christ's all-out love in at least three ways. One, we're called to love our wives. Two, we're called to help our wives. And three, we're called to be gentle with our wives. So, of course, if you hadn't guessed yet, this sermon is going to be geared mostly to you husbands because this text addresses us directly. But if you're not a husband, let me just ask you, please don't check out because this sermon is really, it's for you too. We're all called as Christians to a life of love and we're all called to a life of gentleness. Gentleness isn't just like a a husband thing or a wife thing. Gentleness is a Christian thing. Gentleness is the fruit of the spirit. So everyone in here is called to a life of, of love and gentleness with those who you have been placed in relationship with. And more specifically, for you single men who might have marriage in your future, this, this sermon is for you. It's, it's who you are to be and who are you, to, you are to become. And for the, for the married women in here, for you wives, this is, a, this is claiming on your husbands. Uh, this is putting a big claim on your husbands. It's, it's, it's commanding them. It's calling them to preach a sermon of all-out love. And you're called to help your husband. And for you single ladies, this should give you a picture of the man, if marriage is in your future, this should give you a picture of the man that you should be looking for. It's, it's not what the magazine racks, the grocery store tell you you should be looking for, okay? This will help you. So I'll try to give application to actually all, all of those groups of people as we continue. Now, if you're a husband, this isn't about some theoretical wife, like the, the concept of a wife, this vague notion. This, this, this scripture is to evoke your wife's name. It's about your wife. So this text claim on my life is... Caleb, love Mahdi and do not be harsh with Mahdi. This text is calling me to to love Mahdi, to help Mahdi, and to be gentle with my wife, Mahdi. And the text for you husbands has the same claim on each of your lives. And so I encourage you to fill the blank in with your wife's name as we continue. So the first thing we're called to do, husbands... To proclaim uh, a sermon of all-out love is, of course, to love our wives. Jesus tasked us to love our wives. And this was really a countercultural command in this day. In, in Roman culture, 
men were seen to be much uh, superior and women much inferior to, 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 to their husbands in worth. Men often treated their wives like property or maybe a little bit better. It was, it was commonplace for, for men to rage bitterly against their wives and, and to really just mistreat them. And Paul is calling husbands in Colossae that he's, he's telling them, now they are Christians, there is no place for even a hint of this. Instead, Christian husbands are to love their wives. And before any of you husbands says, okay, well, they, I'm glad we're living in an easier culture to understand love in. Let me suggest we're not. That this idea of love that we're being called to give to our wives is just as alien to us. You see, the the love, the idea of love that's propagated by Hollywood and that's sung about on the radio is often solely based on emotions and experience and feelings. It's, it's romanticized. It's an emotional version of love that's defined almost solely by, by just that, experience and feelings. Now, I do believe that biblical love involves our emotions. It involves our affections. But when it's solely this or mostly this, then it's fleeting. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And it, it, and it really is behind our contractual view of love where, yeah, we say wedding vows that go something like this. I, lo- I promise to, to love you, be faithful to you for uh, as long as we both shall live in sickness and health for better or worse until, until death do us part. We, we say those things, but... What we really mean is, I promise to love you as long as you continue to love me well. I promise to be faithful and committed to you as long as you continue to be a good deal, as, as long as you continue to make me happy. And God's calling husbands here to a love that is radically different. It's, it's one that he defines in his word. See, biblical love is true and enduring. It's, it's marked by sacrifice and selfless commitment. Now, many people in this room are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, but, but let me just read it again. And as I read it, just be thinking, how am I measuring up to this biblical standard of love? Because this is what God's calling husbands to. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, I wish I had time to unpack each of these for you, but that's, that's a, really just a different sermon. I hope what you saw in that list, that, that, that scripture, is that when Christ calls us husbands to love our wives, when he's calling me to love Madi and you to love your wife, he's calling us to a list of sacrificial actions, and he's calling us to initiate with our wives regardless of how they are doing. And, and, and this, isn't, this isn't like... You know, on our wedding day, I told her I loved her, and I told her that I would let her know if anything ever changed. Uh, This isn't 
This isn't that. This is a call to ongoing, continuous, sacrificial actions. Really, a good way of translating our text is like this. Husbands, be loving your wives. Husbands, be loving your wives. Now, if it's feeling weighty, it should be. This, this is weighty. As, as Maddie and I have gone through uh, our marriage ministry, re-engaged several times for our own marriage, uh, I've, been, I've been helped by it. God, God showed me just, just how I fail at this biblical standard of love. Love is not irritable or resentful. I'm so weak in showing Madi love here. I am so quick to become impatient, become irritable, to become frustrated when, I am inter- when I'm interrupted or disappointed by Madi. And it's a problem. It's, it's a failure for me to love Madi when I see her as an obstacle, when I see her as in my way. Love bears and endures all things. Currently, I'd say this aspect of love is the most difficult for me right now. Um, Madi, she's, uh, for a couple of years, she's been struggling with back pain and, uh, and consistently getting a good night of sleep. And I'll tell you this, that I have not done a good job of owning her hardships as my own and, and taking them on in a selfless way. I'll tell you one more um, Love believes and hopes all things. Uh, the Lord has been real gracious to me in this aspect of love, but, but historically this has been the, the, the area, the aspect of love I've, I've struggled with the very most. I've, I've been very quick to build a case against Madi and think the worst about her. And, and I'd say if there's one mari- marriage problem of ours, that, that, that's the biggest marriage problem, it's, it's my failure in love, loving her th- in this area thinking the best of her. Biblical love, it's foreign, and it's so beyond our capabilities. I, I wonder what you're thinking about that right now as you, as you kind of use that as a measuring rod, Scripture as a measuring rod to, to how you're loving your wife. You know, there's, there's many reasons why it's foreign, and, and one of them, at least one of them, is this. M- m- many of us didn't grow up in a home with a great example of a Christian dad loving your mom, loving your wife. Um, that, that, that disadvantages us for sure. But let me point this out, that, that we, none of us in this room, are more disadvantaged than this church in Colossae. Because remember, they're new believers, so they're, they're, none of their dads were Christians. They were breathing the air that saw their wives as an inferior and as property. So, so just know that we're not more disadvantaged to them. And, and, and Christ, Christ, God hasn't left them, and he doesn't leave us without a much better example. Now, the Colossians, the people reading this letter for the first time, they would have already seen this by the time they got to our passage. If they just read what we call chapter 3, they would have seen this. They would have understood that because they have union with Christ, the one who loved them, they were called to a pattern, a new pattern of living that represents him. But maybe the most clear way for us to see this is by turning to a, a very similar passage in Ephesians 5. It should be up on the screen. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as 
Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. One word in this text is especially illuminating and intimidating, and it's the word as. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The NASB puts it this way. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And Eugene Peterson paraphrases our passage this way. He says, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. See, Christian husbands in all churches and in all generations have been given an an example. They've been given a model. Jesus Christ serves as an example for all husbands everywhere. He is the perfect husband. He fulfilled 1 Corinthians 13 perfectly. His love was marked by sacrificial giving and enduring commitment. He said, I came... I came not to be served, but to to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And the the clearest way we can see this is by looking at the cross. And remember that he died there in our place for our sins. In love, he surrendered his life to an excruciating death for his people. This is the most epic display of radical love ever. And this is probably why John Calvin wrote... God the Father has given us in Christ a model to which we should conform our lives. See, regardless of how you grew up, you've been given a perfect model to conform your life to. Husbands, we're to love our wives. I'm to love Maddie and you're to love your wife just as Christ loved the church. We're to love our wives exactly like he did, all out. Now, while we're in Ephesians, I want to move down uh, the passage a little bit and and look at uh, verses 31 and 32 because husbands have been given even more than just a model by which to, to conform to. Verses 31 and 32 say, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what Paul, Paul God, what God is revealing to, to us through Paul here is that your marriage is to be a real life flesh and blood drama, which, which displays Christ and the church. Husbands, this means that the way you love your wife proclaims how Christ loves his people. It proclaims it to your kids and to your neighbors and to your extended family and to your coworkers, whether you like it or not, you are acting out a sermon before them. So, so when you got married, you weren't just called to conform to a, the model of Jesus. You were called to a post. You were given orders and given an official, official office of representing him. You weren't just given a model. We weren't just given a model. We were given a vocation. We weren't just given a job description. We were given an actual job. And if you look at, if you look at John 13, you'll see this, this is true of all Christians. The world will know us by the way we love one another. But specifically, husbands are given a sacred trust. And it's a call to proclaim with our lives Christ all out love for his people. 
Now, I don't know about you, but sadly, when I think of those two words, all out, my love for my wife is not the first thing that comes to my mind. Actually, what first comes to my mind is the way I used to play basketball as a, as a kid. Uh, I, I was that guy who was just fierce, you know, diving after every loose ball. And I'm talking like in practice. I, uh, I, I played intense defense on every play. I, 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 I just exhausted myself to help my team win. And none of you saw me play basketball as a peewee, but you've all seen that athlete on the court or the field that, that just lays it all out for his team. And, and, and you see that it's, it's beautiful. Well, this is the sort of intensity that God is calling us to love our, love our wives with. We're to love our, li- our wives all out. We're to, we're to lay our love for her all out on the court of our everyday normal lives. And, and when we do this, we're proclaiming Christ all out love for his people. So husbands, let me ask. Where are you holding back love from your wife? Is it with your words? Is it with your time? Is it with your affection? How how do you serve her regularly? How do you communicate you delight in her? Are Are you laying your life all out on the field for her? Like, like, like it's the playoffs or are you kind of just doing enough? Like, like maybe it's like the fifth game of, of an 82 game season. And, and, and older guys, I think this might be more difficult for you. If you've had 20 years of marriage, this might be more difficult for you because you have, you, you feel like maybe you're good to go, but to continually lay your life out for your wife, it's tough. It's tough for all of us. Here's a really a better way to go about finding out that answer instead of maybe being uh, crushed by all the ways we could change like, like I can be. Um, a better way is to ask your wife. She, she knows better anyways. So... Your homework this week is to ask your wife, honey, please tell me one or two ways I can better show you love. Dear, please tell me what is one or two ways I can better show you love. And single men, uh, you who want to be married one day, let let me just tell you, uh, the time to show all out love is is now. You know, when, when, if you think like a selfless switch is going to, automatically turn on at the altar when you say, I do, you're in for a big surprise. It's the husband's laughing right now. You're in for a big surprise. The time to show all out love is now with those you are already in relationship with. So I'd ask you, who, who, who's in your life that you can show all out love to right now? It will, it will help you then. Well, husbands, another way your all out love for your wife proclaims Christ all out love for us is by helping her. We're called to help our wives. And this is a shorter point, and we're just going to keep looking at Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We see here that Christ's love for his people has a particular purpose. And our love as husbands will best proclaim his love for his people when we share this purpose. 
Did you see, did you see what it was? Uh, look, look again at the text. It says, Christ loved the church that he might sanctify her, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, that she might be holy and blameless. Jesus' goal in loving the church is to help her grow in holiness. His love is aimed at helping us become what we should be. Now, some of you are probably jumping straight to application. Okay, how can I help her? I'm, I'm, called, to, I'm called to help her. How can I help her? Uh, can I, can I uh, help her I'll do the dishes at night and I'll help her get the kids in bed? And, and uh, yeah, you should do those things, especially if she tells you, these help me. But this isn't, this isn't what Paul has in mind here, I don't think. I, just like in our passage in Colossians, in this passage, the husband's charge comes directly after the wives get their charge. We talked about their charge last week. They are to uh, voluntarily offer their lives to their husband's leadership uh, like we do, the church does, to Christ. This is their discipleship assignment. They have a major role to play in this drama as well. Well, husbands, do you realize how difficult biblical submission must be? I mean, our wives are called to to submit to someone who is by the very nature a sinner. You and and me, and me, this, this is an enormous task. It's, it's impossible unless accomplished by, by God's power. Well, our aim in loving her is to help her in her role of holiness. It's to help her respect and submit to you, not by demanding it, not by domineering over her and trying to force it, but by loving her with an all-out love, an all-out love that reflects that of Jesus. When Jesus was in the upper room the night before his crucifixion, he, he, he got up from dinner and he tied, uh, he took off his outer garment and he tied a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin and he began washing his disciples' feet and drying them off with the towel that was around his waist. Now, it's important to remember that this was the very lowliest thing someone could have done back in first century. They, they didn't have sewer systems like we do. They, they shared the streets with animals, and just like now, animals go to the bathroom. And uh, unlike now, one of their only footwear options was sandals. So you can see why this was reserved for the very lowliest servant on the totem pole. And in the upper room, Jesus is the one taking on this lowliest of tasks, cleaning the muddy, poopy feet of his friends to to clean them, to clean them, to help them. Yet here's the thing. No one in the upper room wondered who was leading. No one. It It was never less difficult to follow a leader than it was to follow Jesus because he used his leadership to pour out all his love sacrificially for the good of his people. So husbands, let's help our wives fulfill her role of submission by being like Jesus 
in this picture. Let's, let's help her live in godliness by living, by giving her an all out love that aims at her good over even our own. It's a really hard thing to submit, but we can make it less difficult for our wives. So here's something to try at home, husbands. When, when your wife is resistant to your lead, and yes, I'm assuming this happens in, in your home because just like your wives aren't married to a perfect husband, you're not married to a perfect wife. So, so when your wife is, is showing you disrespect, instead of demanding respect in that moment or instead of just giving up and giving her the reins, which is an equally opposite error, Instead of judging her in your mind, wicked, disrespectful woman. <laughs> Instead of doing that, let me, let me suggest to you a, another way, a way that will, that will help her big time. And it's this. Admit to yourself that a strong possibility of why she's resisting your lead, of why she's showing you disrespect, is because she's not feeling very loved by you right now. See, this, when, when your wife's showing you disrespect and, and, and being uh, sort of a resistant to your lead, it's very likely that she's acting like a mirror that's showing you you're not being very loving right now. You're not representing. You're not being like this picture of Jesus in the upper room. Now, of course, please, please don't hear me saying what I'm, what I'm not saying. She, wives are called to submit to their husbands, not, not just when they're loving her perfectly. But remember... Submission is, it's a voluntary offering from the hearts of our wives. And we're going to waste our energy, husbands, by trying to focus on the heart we're not responsible for and neglecting the heart we are responsible for. We're responsible for our hearts, not theirs. So the best way to help her is by saying, my heart, where's my heart of love for her? Help me, Lord. Help me. And wives... You know, you're being asked to do something nearly impossible, to submit to your husband's faulty, very faulty at times, leadership. But, but please know something as well, that husbands, we, we couldn't be asked to do something more difficult, to love like Jesus, to lay our lives down for a fellow sinner, to nail ourselves to the cross for the good of another. That, doesn't that sound daunting. But we need your help too. So, so when you're not feeling very loved, when you're feeling like being resentful or resent, uh, uh, when you feel, when, when you're feeling like I, I need to disrespect him or whatnot, uh, uh, you know, I'm assuming you're not going to feel loved at times because you're not married to a perfect husband either. But when you're, when you're feeling resistant is the word I was searching for. When you're feeling resistant to your husband, may I suggest you don't try to communicate that to him with like nonverbals. Uh, you know, you're, I'm just going to be respectful, disrespectful to him. I'm going to resist it and, and I'm going to show him. I'm going to give him the message. Um, husbands, we, we don't get that message. We don't get it. And it actually doesn't help us love you more. And if that's what you're crying for, that's what you're crying out for. It, it doesn't help you get what you're crying out for. It doesn't help you get what you want. So next time you're, you're, you're not feeling like voluntarily offering uh, to follow him. May I suggest you don't, you don't try to do this. But instead... Help him out by being straight with him. Say something like this, honey, I want to follow your lead, but, but I'm having a very difficult time because I'm not feeling very loved by you right now. Can, can we please talk about it? I need help. We need to talk. That's, that's a way you could help us.
Well, the final point is that husbands are to be gentle with our wives. Husbands, we proclaim Christ's out love for his people by being gentle with our wives. Our translation of Colossians says, do not be harsh with them. And other translations put it this way. It says, don't be embittered to them. The idea is don't be impatient and rough. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was diving in this text uh, earlier this week, uh, this was a surprise to me. Why does Paul need to add, don't, and don't be harsh? It doesn't like loving your wives, like cover that. You know, is, it, is this really necessary? Isn't it redundant? Is it necessary? And I, I think it is. I, I think it would be something like me telling you, brothers and sisters, live your life for Jesus and do not live your life for the American dream. Or maybe something like this, husbands, pursue your wives romantically and do not pursue those pornographic pictures on the screen. It doesn't sound very redundant now because I'm speaking into our culture. And remember, the Colossian culture was one that, was, that saw women as inferior and, and, and husbands often raged against their wives bitterly and mistreated them. And, 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 and before we think, oh, well, that's their problem, can't, can't, we, we can just admit that this isn't their problem. This, this is an issue today. And the, the Me Too movement as of late has highlighted that this is an issue still today. And we don't need to look any farther than the first few pages of Scripture to realize that this is an age-old issue. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Then God said, let us make man in our image and let them have, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And this is how Romans 1 summarizes what just happened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. And then in response to his creature's rebellion against him, God cursed 
the whole creation. And he specifically cursed every marriage. In Genesis 3.16, God said to Eve, the first wife, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And ever since that dreadful day, things have not been right. Husbands and wives, we've been a mess where, where wives are cursed with a desire to unsurp their husband's leadership and, and husbands live with this proneness to rule over their wives harshly, oppressively. And because of this, ever since the first marriage, wives have been crying out, at least silently, me too, me too, me too, every generation. This is the reason why nearly every place that wives are addressed in the New Testament, they're called to respect and submit to their husbands. And why nearly every place in the New Testament where husbands are addressed, they're called to love their wives and to not be harsh with them, to live in an understanding way with them. Don't you see what Paul is actually saying here? He's calling wives and husbands to push back against the results of the fall. He's saying push back against what, do the very opposite of your particular sin proneness that plagues you. This isn't the way it's meant to be. Push it back against that proneness. Creation is awfully broken. Push back against it. And don't you see, husband, Christ came to rescue us from this curse, to call us to a revolutionary life, one of radical, all-out love for our wives, one where we are no longer harsh with them anymore. See, when, when, when God's calling husbands not to be harsh with our wives, he's saying, son, live, live the new life. Don't live the old life. He's saying, don't live like Adam. Live in Jesus. Don't live the cursed life. Live the blessed life. Single ladies, I, I want to address you with as much brotherly affection as I can, especially if you don't know me. Please don't date guys who are harsh with you. They're characteristically harsh with you. If you're dating a man who is characteristically harsh with you, I strongly encourage you to get counsel and and consider breaking up with him. Now, no man is going to be perfect here, but if you're asking yourself, is my boyfriend regularly harsh with me? Then you need help. You need counsel. Go to your community group leader. Go to, go to other ladies. Go involve other men. They can help. Because ladies, this isn't part of manhood. This is part of cursed manhood. And husbands, I'd ask you, what, what, what causes you to be bitter toward your wife? Think of her name. What causes you to be bitter toward her? Ask God to help you forgive her and treat her tenderly, even if that's not the way she deserves it. Ask God for help. What, what areas are you, are you finding yourself more prone to be harsh with her in? Is it, is it the schedule or the chores or, you know, uh, you know the, the, how do we raise our children? What, what, what is it for you? The, 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 the finances? Confess your harshness 
in these areas to God and to your wife and ask them for forgiveness and ask God, uh, Lord, please give me transforming grace to change me. The transforming grace you bought. And, and ask other men for help as well. Well, I'm going to end our time by beginning with a downer. Husbands, we don't have a shot at doing any of this. We don't have a shot of loving our wives like this because the results of the fall are still living in us. They're still plaguing us. We don't really love our wives like we love ourselves. Otherwise, I wouldn't have so much difficulty seeing Monty's hardships as my own. I wouldn't be nearly so quick to build a case against her as soon as she doesn't meet my expectations. We're so proud. We're so selfish. We're, we're also so blind. We, we've bought into the, the, this cultural uh, idea of love, this contractual idea of love. And here's the thing. I, I know you husbands, many of you, you've married way out of your league, but like I did, but but your wife is never going to be lovely enough to give to, 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 to help you love her all out continuously for the rest of your life. So we got a problem, brothers. we got a big problem. I, I like the way that the Reengage workbook puts it. it. It does it well. It says, we are powerless to love our wives the way we promised we would, the way she dreamed we would, and the way God designed that we should. We're living under a curse, a curse that every husband and wife know too well. But, but here's the good news. The good news is that the curse isn't the only way God responded to the first marriage in the garden. Listen to what he told the serpent, and, and he recorded it for us. He, he said it in front of Adam and Eve. He recorded this for us. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, unlike Charles Spurgeon in our introduction, Christ will never forget our existence. He'll never leave us alone to struggle. He's promised to return, to crush the serpent's head and turn back the curse. God promised that, and he did so by sending Jesus to pour his all-out love for us on the cross in our place. At the cross, God, our holy father-in-law, poured out all of his son's blood in our place for the very ways we failed to love our wives, his daughter, and for the very ways we've been harsh with them. You see, we, we have a gigantic problem, but we've been given an even mightier solution. At the cross, God struck the curse living in us a death blow and has given us his new life, his, the life of a resur- his resurrected son, an uncursed life, a blessed life. He's, he's redeemed us from this curse, and he calls us to live like who we really are, redeemed. Remember Colossians 3.12, husbands. Before he calls us to love our wives like this, he calls us chosen ones, holy ones, beloved ones. The order is vital to get. Until you first embrace your identity as a chosen recipient of blood-spilling radical love, you won't be able to embrace your vocation to love your wife, the wife you chose. 
But as you remember that you have been bought for him by his blood, you will be empowered to love your wife radically. And here's the sweetest of realities. When you do, your life will be a sermon of all-out love. There's nothing more grand. There's nothing more important. You might not like your job. You might think, I'm never going to have a significance like Charles Spurgeon did. But listen, when you, listen, when, when, you, when you love like you're called to, your all-out love for your wife will proclaim Christ's all-out love for us, his people. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.